Okay, right, so I want to talk to, um, we're going to be in Isaiah 55, and my title is The Gospel in the Marketplace. The Gospel in the Marketplace. Don't worry about that, that's, my, that's a series that we did at God First. I feel constrained by this. Okay, Gospel in the Marketplace. I don't know if you've ever walked through a street market. Um, I, I think, is it Barras? Yeah, has it been to Barras? It's indoor now, it used to be outdoor. But obviously, even people in Glasgow get uh, stressed with the weather. So, you know, you go to Barras and there's kind of different market stalls and it says on the website, kind of for dreamers and inspirers. And it's kind of like, go through the marketplace and all these different stuff you can get. You know, if you go to the Portobello Road in London or if you go to the Grand Bazaar in uh, Istanbul, some years ago I had a chance to go to Istanbul, the Grand Bazaar, and it's just the amount of stalls and stuff there is just amazing. Uh, and, you, and you're just constantly hearing the voices of like street sellers. Uh, you know the, how it works. Um, actually, if you've been on holiday to the Mediterranean and you kind of walk down that little bit of strip where there's kind of a few restaurants, there's always people outside, isn't there? And there was like, and you stop and look at the menu and they're like grabbing you and they say, come on, come on, come on, come in. Yeah? Okay, keep responding because I get insecure. Okay, so and, and you just imagine that we're going through the markets in Istanbul and there's all these voices and voices and voices and you're just overwhelmed with stuff. I think that, that what's, you know, what strikes you is, is just the cacophony of noise and the number of voices calling out to you. And I think actually living in 21st century Glasgow is probably like that. 21st century London is like that. It's like that. There's so many voices of a marketplace of ideas. That's an idea that was coined 200 years ago. But there's so many, there's this marketplace of ideas and dreams and desires that's constantly calling out to you. Your phone is constantly calling out to you. The internet is calling out to you. Digital capitalism calling out to you. Pictures of, of the beautiful life is calling out to you all the time. Believe this, do this, live this, taste this, experience this, yes? And it's like, whoa, where do I go with this? What do I do? And I, and I think Glasgow, you know, the motto of Glasgow, I did my research here, I showed I'm not just, this is not cotton paste, this is bespoke stuff. It, it says, Lord, let Glasgow flourish, and that's where it stops now, doesn't it? Or it doesn't even have Lord, it says, let Glasgow th- flourish. And it feels like, okay, well, how's Glasgow going to flourish? There's an idea here, there's an idea here, there's an idea here, there's an idea here, they even debate it in this room, don't they? How, it, how is Glasgow going to flourish? Ideas everywhere, the marketplace of ideas. But it used to say, didn't it? Let Glasgow flourish through the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. In other words, there was one voice in the marketplace that said, that's how you're going to flourish. That's how you're going to flourish. But we've got to this point where actually... There's, we don't know how we're going to flourish anymore. And so we're going to read Isaiah 55, and we're going to walk through a marketplace. We're going to walk through a marketplace. And actually, Isaiah, just for a little background, Isaiah never lived in Babylon. He prophesied about Babylon when the Israelites were in exile. He died, his, his, his followers sealed up the scrolls, and then read them afterwards. And so you think, oh, he's never there in Babylon. But he's, ba- he's speaking about a Babylon street market. Babylon, the, the city of the world, the city of people. Uh, and it's all these different voices. And, and if you read Isaiah 55, it's a walk through a street market. Now, a couple of things just to, to help you. Isaiah's edited out all the other voices and left you with one voice. So, so just trust me on that. Because if you hear the language and the tone... 
you can hear a street market, street trader calling out to you. Yeah? Because that's the first thing. We're going through a marketplace. Second thing you want to remember is normally if you do preach, it'll ask you to be, I'm going to get you to be one person in the story. I want to put you in this passage. Yeah? I don't want you to just listen intellectually. I want you emotionally to be in this passage. Okay? And so, so in one sense, the, the role you're going to play is the street, the street vendor, just to give you a little, chip, a little tip, that would be Jesus. The street vendor is Jesus calling out to you and you're going to play the part of the person listening most of the time. Yeah? But sometimes you're going to play the part of the people of Glasgow listening. You are the people of Glasgow listening. Okay? And so sometimes some of the things that I'm going to say, it might say you, and you might think you the individual, but actually it's you the people of Glasgow. Sometimes, just occasionally at the very end, I'm going to ask you to play the part of the street trader speaking the gospel of Jesus, the voice of Jesus to the people of Glasgow. But the thing is, I'm not going to tell you when. Okay? So you're going to play the voice of the one listening, you're going to be also the people of Glasgow, but you're also going to be the street trader. These two looked at each other and said, I'm already confused. <laughs> Please, that was supposed to help you, not confuse you. I thought, if I tell you which you're going to be in this, because it works on multiple levels, and I know you're all very sophisticated, and that's going to be fine, yeah? Dig? Let's pray. Father, we just pray that as we walk through this street market of Babylon, the street market of Glasgow life, that you'd speak to us, that we would hear your voice calling to us, and we'd hear your warnings and encouragements, and we'd hear your heart, and you'd move us and change us and transform us. And all God's people said, Amen. So I'm going to read from, I'm going to read from uh, uh, Isaiah 55. I'm going to use a commentary, the translation from a guy for Alec Motier, who's died. His commentary on Isaiah is like, if you're a clever chap. Um, that made me sound like I'm saying I'm clever, doesn't it? <laughs> Alec Motier's commentary. So if you think, oh, it's not quite like the NIV, I think it's his translation from the original Hebrew. Okay, so here we go. We good? You with me? Okay, so it says, you there. Hear the voice. You there, thirsty one, come to the waters. You there who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, come buy for no money, for no cost, for wine. Why spend money on what is not bread? And uh, 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 why spend money on what is bread? And the money you, you have labored for on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me. And you will eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Bend your ear, come to me that your soul may live. Yes, I will make an everlasting covenant for you with the unfailing love that I made promises to David. Look, I made him a testimony to the people, a, a ruler and a royal proclamation to the peoples. Behold, you will call to nations you, do not, uh, you know not and to nations you do not know will come ring to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has made you beautiful. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the ungodly leave their ways and their unrighteous, uh, their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have compassion on them. And to our God, for he will multiply forgiveness. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and, but, well that was very Yorkshire wasn't it, bud, and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, my gospel that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which 
it's been sent. So we look, we're listening for the voice. So the first voice we're going to hear, and I'm going to try, I tried to break it up into scenes for you as if it was like a movie. Okay, so the first scene we got is we're in the street market and we got the call. We got the, the voice of the street trader. The trader, street trader says, you there. You can imagine him like, you there, you there, you, you, no, you, oh, you, 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 you there. Come, you're thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. You've got no money. Let's find somebody with no money, Kenko. Uh, you've got no money. Uh, <laughs> come uh, for, uh, at no cost and buy uh, wine and milk. Why spend money on what is bread? Uh, and, and the money you've laboured for and what does not satisfy. And it feels like the street trader's voice is actually not offering very, something very interesting. The first thing he says, oh, do you, are you thirsty? Do you want a drink of water? Do you want some bread? Doesn't seem a very attractive offer, does it? And so you can imagine that, that in one sense, you just can think, no, I'm not interested in that. There's so many things on offer. I'm not really interested in a bit of bread and water. And it seems like you're, you're about to, to move on past the street trader and not listen, really listen to him. And he, and, he, and he kind of comes again then, doesn't he? And says, hey, hey, come on, listen. You've got no money. Come and buy it without cost. And he's almost trying to reach into the, 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 the people listening and say, come on, engage with this. And I don't know if you ever have uh, conversations with your neighbours and if you said to them, were you thirsty? Well, they probably would say, yeah, I fancy an iron brew or whatever you have around here, you know. I fancy one of them or I fancy this or that. They'd, but they wouldn't tend to, to process that, would they, as a spiritual question. And so what happens is it's almost like the street trader asks the question, are you thirsty? And the people think, I'm not interested, and I just walk on by. And it kind of presses the level. He had some quality. Yes, come by cream and wine. Are you a little bit more interested? A bit of cream, a bit of wine. And then the vendor switches his sales pitch and says, you have no money, come buy and eat. And it's at that point, it feels like as you're walking through the marketplace, you think, oh yes, he's talking to me. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was allowed to crack, crack this joke, but in Yorkshire, if they said, there's a free lunch, come buy without money, you think, well, in Yorkshire, yeah, we're interested in that. I think the Glasgow stereotype, I don't know whether that's true or not, but you know, like, we do we like a free lunch. Like a free lunch, you know, and it's like, um, uh, you know, in Cheltenham where I live, free lunch, no one's interested. We used to go out in Manchester, we used to give out food, talk to people about Jesus and give out food, and they'd stop and talk to you. You give out food in Cheltenham, they go, what's the matter with you? Got plenty of food at home. You know, but, but he's trying to draw, the street traders trying to say, come on, come on, why have you spent your money on what is not bread? And then he really pushes it home. Why have you laboured? For what does not satisfy? Why are you working and working and doing life and not satisfied? So he's moved in that, in that little sales pitch from something like a glass of water, not interested, some tr cream, some wine, maybe. And he finally says, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? He's asking that soul question. So scene two is soul thirst. It's looking at our hearts. It's interesting that the, the Jesus, the street trader, doesn't ask a theological question, does he? He doesn't say, uh, you know, what's the meaning of life? He doesn't say, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? He didn't ask any kind of theological question, does he? And I'm not against theological questions. He, he's, not, he's not asking, do you believe this is true? He's actually trying to ask something deeper. He's asking, how's your heart? 
What, what do you really like? And if you walk around and talk to people and say, oh, I'd like to discuss like evolution against creation or whatever, you might find people are not really interested. You, 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 trucking? But if you said, are you satisfied with your life? Suddenly you stop and there's a conversation. There's a conversation. And the thing is, Jesus, the street trader asks, are you satisfied? And I would say everyone in the marketplace, probably when they hear that, they know he's speaking to me. He's speaking to me. How does he know that? How does he know? How does he know if he says, are you satisfied? If he went out on the streets of Glasgow, said, are you satisfied? How does he know that? How does he know the question? Because everybody's dissatisfied, right? Yeah? Even if you're a Christian, you have to come to him for satisfaction. And if you're a people of Glasgow, you're definitely dissatisfied. Let me give you some quotes on dissatisfaction. Dis emptiness and dissatisfaction is the human condition. It wasn't always that. It wasn't always the human condition. It wasn't always that we were empty and dissatisfied. We were supposed to come to God and be filled. But as you know, the story decided, no, I'm not going to satisfy myself with, it, with God. I'm going to satisfy myself with all these other things. And it's left us dissatisfied. Fifty years ago, who, there's a picture of uh, an actress. I'm 62, so I was 12 when she was, said this. She was like the most famous film star in the world. Who's heard of this lady? About five, oh, not bad. Sophie Loren, she said this. In my life, there's an emptiness that's impossible to fill. Or how about more contemporary? Uh, Cara Delevingne, I think she's called. Is it Delevingne? How do you pronounce it? Yeah, she's like, she's like kind of, she was like London lipstick, and she was like VW cars, she's like actress, MTV, cool. Who's heard of her? A few more, not many. Some have heard of both, well done. She said this, it's a poem she wrote, she wrote, she wrote out on MTV. She put empty, beyond the point of emptiness, full to the brim with fake confidence. I'm hurting, but don't tell anyone. No one needs to know. Always okay, always fine, always on show, the show must go on. It will never stop. I give up. I give up giving up. I'm lost, I don't need to be saved, I need to be found. To the most beautiful, successful women in the world, they have all the opportunities to go to every stall in the street market and taste the wares of every stall in the street market. You know, they've lived in ma Hollywood mansions and city apartments. They've, they've kind of, they go on holiday to those white sand beaches and beautiful turquoise waters. You know, they drive fastest cars. They've had the excitement of relationships with men. Everything they could have wanted, but yet they were dissatisfied. Thirsty and empty. It's a human condition. Now the thing is, you'd think at that point, if, if, if you said to somebody, are you satisfied? Or you, even the question was asked to you now in your life, are you satisfied? You'd think, well, no, I'm not. And the answer would, right, I'm going to come to the street trader. I'm going to come for what he's offering. But we don't do that, do we? Why, do, is it, why isn't everyone out there now be, thinking I'm dissatisfied, beating a door into here? Why not? Let me, think, let me let help you with that. Because the thing is, we think it's not true for us. That we think if we were rich, 
successful, beautiful, famous, then we'd be satisfied. Yeah? We don't really believe those people would say, well, you know, the trouble with her, she's obviously got some kind of insecurities, some weaknesses, some mental illness. That's why she feels empty. That's why she feels it's a fake. That's why she feels secure. But actually, we don't actually ourselves believe them. Because we've been trained by the street vendors of the marketplace to think actually if you climb high enough, if you climb to the top of the ladder and you get the best apartment and you get to holiday on white sand beaches and you get to have the coolest cars and you get to have the best sex, we'll have to mention sex, then you'll be really happy. And we don't think, we still think that's true. And you might not say, oh, I'm just looking for that, I'm looking for that. But the reality is, we still think if we climb to the top of the ladder, we'll be happy. And you can be in here as a Christian following Jesus, and you can still think, if I climb to the top of the ladder, then I'll be happy. And the people who got to the top of the ladder and said there's nothing there, we don't believe them, do we? Because what we do, we keep on climbing, don't you? Tim Keller often, oh no, let me jump ahead. Uh, Multi-Golden Globe back to Jim Carrey. What film was he in? What was it, Cal? Truman. Dumb and Dumber and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, he won Golden Globes, won lots of Golden Globes, never won an Oscar. Maybe he thought, if I won an Oscar, I'd be really happy. You know, if I only had got that Oscar, I mean, don't, don't talk to Will Smith about that. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can be really, really happy and fulfilled. No, so they can see it's not the answer. You can go to every stall in the marketplace, taste them all, and still be not happy. New York preacher puts it much better than me. Tim Kelly says, I think most of us aren't able to recognize our self-thirst for what it is. As long as you think there's a pretty good chance that you'll achieve some of your dreams, as long as you think that you have a shot of success, you experience your inner emptiness as drive. If I work harder, you can be what you want to be. The American dream, push on, push on, push on. The Glasgow dream, push on, push on. This city's hugely transformed, isn't it? You know, I used to come, I came here when I was a young kid, and they've changed it and think, wow, the economic transformation. Well, is Glasgow happier now? Is Glasgow flourishing now? It should be, according to the narrative, but it's not, is it? Let's press on more, let's drive for more, let's drive for more. And, and he said, you, can, you experience your inner emptiness as drive and your anxiety as hope. And so you remain almost completely oblivious to the deep, to, to the deep your thirst, to how deep your soul thirst actually is. Most of us tell ourselves we're unfulfilled because we haven't been able to achieve our goals. And so we live almost all our lives without admitting the depth of our thirst. True? True. There's an artist called Charlie Mackesy who wrote a, a book called The Horse and His Boy. Has anyone seen that? It's like like big, funky book. And um, he, he, he was an artist and he had a friend who was in, in, worked in the city of London and uh, was like a hotshot earner. And his friend, he used to think, I'm a struggling artist and my friend is making big bucks. One time his friend came to him and said, Charlie, I'm broken. I wish somebody had told me before I gave all my life to financial services in London, when you get to the top of the ladder, there's nothing there. 
We've got to believe that. It's true for you. It's true for the people of Glasgow. Amen? You there, thirsty one. You there, thirsty one. Come at the waters. Why spend money you have laboured for on what does not satisfy? Scene three. It goes quicker now. That was the longest scene. Scene three. It's a cut scene. So we're cutting away from the marketplace and we're going 600 years further on. Jesus meets a thirsty woman. He meets a woman at the well. The street vendor meets a woman at a deserted well. The encounter is loaded with tension. You might know this story if you've been around church. If you don't, just bear with me. There's a tension as a man and a woman. There's a tension of a Jew and a Samaritan. There's a tension of a traveller and apparently a bad woman. You think, I don't know what that tension is. It's Celtic Rangers. You know, it's Protestant Catholic in Belfast. There's a tension. It's black, white, you know, on the streets of Minneapolis. There's tension there. But Jesus doesn't back off because it's tough, because there's barriers, because it's difficult. She's not like him, but that doesn't think, well, I, I've got, he's got nothing to say. The street seller thinks, no, I've got something to say. But what he does is he overcomes those barriers to meet people, and he says to this woman, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? You think, Jesus, why are you asking her for a drink? Because actually, you know, that ultimately in the story, you want to give her a drink. He's a street seller saying, come, do you want, you're thirsty, do you need a drink? But he says, I, um, I'd like a drink. I love what she says. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I mean, sidebar, the woman expects Jesus to be a sexist. He's not. Expects him to be a racist, but he's not. He makes himself vulnerable and asks her for a drink. Just a little thought. I don't know what you like if you talk to people about Jesus. I, I remember in the when I was a kid, the, the way forward was people used to go in the middle of town and stand on a soapbox and say, you know what, you all sinners go to hell. Might be true, right? It's not Doc, that one. But you know, it felt like you were just pointing the finger and condemning. Um, uh, there's a, a book where, I can't remember, what's, what's so amazing about Grace, this guy who wrote the book is talking to a, a woman who's a prostitute and she says, I'm broken and I'm empty and I need some transformation. And he says, why don't you go to church? And she said, why would I gonna go there? All they're gonna do is point their finger and judge me. She's wrong. She's wrong about this church, right? She's wrong about Jesus. I find that the, the most, the least potent gospel sharers are the ones who wanna prove a point, demonstrate their knowledge, win an argument, make a judgment, Show that being self-righteous, Jesus doesn't do any of those things. He's vulnerable and he asks questions and listens. Jesus makes himself humble because he wants to find a hearing. And when he says, do you want a drink? Suddenly she realizes, oh no, I've got nothing to give you, Jesus. I have got no water to give you. I'm thirsty. She just knows that when Jesus makes himself vulnerable and asks the question, she just knows that she's thirsty. And when we're in the street market, Jesus asks us a question. And you might think, I'm, I've, got lo I've got everything I need. But when you hear his voice, suddenly you think, why? I, I'm broken. You know, she thought, I've got broken relationships. My men have let me down. I'm empty. 
And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, you can hear the echoes of Isaiah 53, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he'd give you living water. It's amazing. It's a great story. We could have, um, you know, could have preached the whole thing on it, but it's like, wow. Jesus is desperate to give us a drink. And he opens this woman's heart. You there, thirsty one. Scene four. Jesus offers himself. The lend, the, we've got the, the, the street vendors got our attention and we said, yeah, I'm, 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 thir- I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm dissatisfied. I, I've, you've got my attention. He says this, listen. It's almost like I feel like he's whispering. You've come really close now. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Bend your ear. Come to me that your soul will live. You didn't expect that, did you? When he's offering just to quench your thirst, he's saying, hey, come on. And it's almost like you, you come to the market stall, and what is he doing? He, he's got bread. We're going to do it later. He's got bread and wine that he's on offered, and he's, he's breaking it. And he's got wine that he offered you, and, he said, and he's pouring it out. And he's saying, this is my body broken for you and he's pouring out the wine and saying this is my blood shed for you and suddenly you realize that what's on offer is not just water not just wine not just bread but him come to me come to me Jesus offers himself Jesus declared he can almost hear the echoes again Jesus declared I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Does your time, your diary, your money, your commitments, does it, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? He's the bread of life. You want to be hungry? No, no other stall to go to. Do you believe that's true for your friends? You can say yes. I won't say, right, get out on the street right now. <laughs> We've got to believe that. Why spend money? What does not satisfy? Here's something beyond cost, beyond price, but free. Something priceless, but free. Here's Jesus. A couple of more scenes. Still, the people don't believe him in the marketplace. He's offered his very self. He said, look, you're thirsty. That's your problem. He said, your solution is me. You need to come to me and feed on me. And he's still, still not, people are not satisfied. It's almost they need a personal testimony. If you read the passage, he jumps straight into a personal testimony. It says, I'm out of order now, Naomi, but so jump and find it. It says, yes, I make an everlasting covenant with you. With the unfailing love, I made promises to David. Look, I made him a testimony to the peoples, a ruler and royal proclamation to the peoples. Peoples you do not know will come running to you because the Lord your God has made you beautiful. Just because the message is out there, people sometimes don't believe it. Because people, you, you, you can't go to somebody now these days and just tell them, well, it says in the Bible, can you? Can you? I'm going to stop it unless you start interacting with me, okay? <laughs> can you just go to somebody who says, it says in the Bible, you must trust in Jesus, and they all go, oh, great. No, no why not? Because they don't believe the Bible, do they? They don't believe the Bible. Who do they believe? They believe their own opinions, their own desires. They, 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 they think there's something else. The Bible's got not the authority it had. The, 
People look for different places for authority. Let me just give you a quote from Mark Sayers, his book, Disappearing Churches. In our expressive individualist culture, in other words, the me culture, where autonomy and authority lie within ourselves, the enthroning of self of the greatest authority has increasingly relegated God's role of servant to God to the role of servant of personal will. And then this is the kicker. The Bible has been displaced as the foundation for how we think and been supplanted by personal experience and desire. So even though you can say, yes, I'm thirsty, and even though you can say the Bible says that Jesus is the answer, you still need more. This is what this passage is saying. You still need more. There needs to be a, ter- a personal testimony. It's almost like what, uh, above the market stall it says, provider to the um, line of David. Has anybody, uh, does anyone ever look on those bottles of Heinz ketchup? And it says, provider to the, to the Majesty of the Queen. Does anyone ever look on that? Yeah, have you ever seen them? You see coat of arms on things, it said provider. And you, th- you could just imagine Her Majesty of the Queen, you know, with her burger, can't you? <laughs> None of this cheap Aldi stuff. Heinz for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and you say, you, what are you supposed to do? You go onto the shelf and you look at it. Oh, the Queen uses this. I'm definitely getting that. That's what, what they're doing, isn't it? Samsung TVs as provided to, you know, but the provider to the royal family. You, you know that kind of royal endorsement? Yeah? So you can imagine this one. This is, this is over the market stall. Jesus is saying, come. And he said, hey, as provider to King David. Yeah? Or you can imagine on the website, you click the website, and, it's a, and you can hear David's, like, oh, you get David's testimony. David is saying, look, it says, you feel overlooked? Remember, I took David when his family saw him as irrelevant and worthless, and I made him king. Do you feel mon- your employment is mundane? Well, I took him from being a lowly shepherd and made him king. You feel you're weak? I made him a courageous conqueror over Goliath. Look, I made him a testimony, a ruler, a royal proclamation to the peoples. So almost you go on the website, and you, if you click the website, you hear David's testimony in Psalm 64. It says, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Can you read it with me? I thirst, read it with me. Is it there? I thirst for you with my whole being, longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I'll read it now. I will praise you as long as I live, and in my name I lift up in your name I lift up my hands. I will be satisfied with you as the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Can you hear the echoes? You say, David is saying, okay, you've heard the voice of the street vendor, you know your problem, but actually you can trust him because it worked for me. It worked for me. I, he says this, your love is better than life. He's tasted life, he knows, he's been around the marketplace and tasted life, says your love's better than life. Your love is better than life. And you say, can I trust that? Well, maybe King David doesn't mean a thing to you. But actually... Personal testimony means a lot. So let me tell you a story. I was church planting in Manchester, and uh, uh, we had a, a meeting. It was early days, and um, somebody was on the door welcoming people. And this guy came in, and, and he, he, he looked a little bit of a rough character, but there was a few of them in Manchester. And he, you know, he came in and sat down, and people chatted to him and friendly, and offered him a cup of tea and whatever, and it was nice. And then the guy preached and, and whatever, talked about Jesus. And then my friend Jimmy who was preaching said, right, if you want to follow Jesus, I want you to come and kneel at the front. And we never did that. It's like, you would just say, put your hand up or speak to us quietly at the back, whatever. He said, come and kneel at the front. 
This guy gets out of his seat, comes and kneels at the front. So I said, you know, what's your name? He said, Damien. I said, do you want to become a Christian? He said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. It's like, wow, great. I said, okay, so this is what we do. You tell Jesus what you want to be forgiven of, and then you tell him you trust him. Tell him your problem. Tell him he's a solution. So, so Damien starts. He says, Father, I've been an armed robber. And I'm pours out this incredible prayer. I've tried this, I've tried this, I've had broken stuff, this, 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 this. We didn't say it like this, but it's like basically saying, and your love's better than life. I've lived life, and your love's better than life. But what, that was great, but what happened was, his mum came to church the next week. Four weeks later, she becomes a Christian. His sister, and a sister used to then come with, it, with Damon and his mum. And then she became a Christian. And then Damien's brother, he came and he became a Christian. And then what happens is their neighbour down the road, who was, had had about three boyfriends, who was living with one, decided to be, come to church. She became a Christian and married her boyfriend. And we married her on a Sunday meeting because the, they couldn't afford a wedding. And, she, and he became a Christian. And then the boyfriend of the sister became a Christian. Oh, you're not even impressed. That's my best story. That's my best... Why? Because if I could say Jesus is better than life, the people in Manchester said, not interested. Man United is better than life. City is better than life. Sex is better than life. Money is better than life. But when Damien said, trust me, hey, do you know anybody? Do you know anybody who's not a Christian? Your, word, your testimony makes a big difference. And, and, and it's sad but in some, it speaks louder than the Bible, to start with, at least to start with. You agree? It's in there in Psalm, Psalm uh, Isaiah 55. What is lovely, what is lovely is that the girl who was on the welcome team, who's on welcome team today? Put your hand up. Any girl, are oh, you on welcome team? I, 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 if you've already married, this is not meant to be embarrassing, but... <laughs> The girl who was on the welcome team who greeted him that Sunday morning, greeted Damien that Sunday morning and gave him a cup of tea and was really friendly to him. They're married. <laughs> and they're amazing. And he works at the university and he's got four amazing kids who follow Jesus and he's an elder in a church in, in Manchester. Just, if you want a boyfriend, get on the welcome team. No. But the reality is his life was so transformed. His life was transformed. Hear me. His life was tra so transformed. It says, people that you know not will come to you for God has made you beautiful. There's no way no anybody's marrying Damien. He's a train wreck. God comes and changes his life. He made him beautiful. He's made him beautiful. Personal testimony is powerful. Two more scenes. I said two more scenes last time ago. Am I lying? Maybe. Okay, we're getting there. How am I doing for time, Kinks? Oh, you, no, I've gone over. I can tell I've gone over. I can tell by your face. Okay, sorry, let's go. Right, so urgency now. So, that, so this is what's happened. We've come, you're thirsty. Uh, you know, I'm interested. I, I'm struggling. I know, yeah, I get it. I'm dissatisfied. Uh, okay, I'm not sure I believe you. Well, believe the testimony of people whose lives have been changed. And then he says now. He changes his tone and he says, do it now. Do it now. This offer of life comes with an urgent warning. Seek the Lord while he may be found, calling him while he's near. 
Well, the implication is what? There is a moment where he can be found. There's a window of opportunity where God allows himself to be found. There's a moment when he's near. Is that what the, is that the, what the implication of what I just read? Yes, is the answer. Come on, guys. Okay, so in the marketplace of consumer choice, we can feel that the market stall of Jesus is always open. You feel it's always open for you. You can feel it's always open for your friends. You think, well, the people of Glasgow, we can just walk them by. I don't feel thirsty now. I don't feel, you know, I'm not, I don't really interested in your story. I'm not interested. I'm just walking them by. And, and, and the street sellers, don't go. Don't go. There's now, this is the moment. This is, this is your moment. Come now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There's an urgency. And what we say is, manana. what's that mean? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I just wrote, as I was preparing, I just wrote this. I'll pursue Jesus tomorrow when the slower family day comes. When my kids are sleeping through the night. When they're not attending clubs. When they're not sitting exams. Then I'll have time for Jesus. When they're not playing sports on Sunday, then I'll have time to Jesus. Because Jesus is always there in the marketplace, isn't he? He's always there. I can just pop any time when I need him. He's going to be there. You know, I, I do feel dissatisfied, but I'll drink when I'm ready. You know, I'll follow Jesus when there's a slower day at work. I, I'll pursue him when I've got that pay rise. Uh, when I'm married, then, then, then I'll follow Jesus. Uh, when I've paid for that car, I'll follow Jesus. When I've extended my kitchen with bifold doors which everybody seems to be doing. Everyone in my church is doing it. If you're not doing it, get with it, guys. <laughs> when I've finished that project in my house, when I've watched that box set, when I've been on the holiday, when I've lived in the apartment, when I've swum in turquoise seas, when I've had the sex, then, then I'll have time for Jesus. James's brother, Jesus, says, don't be silly. Now listen to what you say. Today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city and we'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Human life is a mist. You're a vapour. You're here and gone in a moment. And, and I know people who've never recognised their soul thirst. But sadder than that have people that have recognised their soul thirst and you said, come to Jesus because his love is better than life. And they said, no, tomorrow. We do it. And what? They think, oh, right, he'll be there when I come. And they turn around and he's not to be found. Seek the Lord while he can't be found. Call him when he's near. He's not, oh, he's not, suddenly not near. Don't hear what I'm not saying there. What I'm saying is there is a moment. What happens is those people that recognise their soul thirst didn't come to Jesus, they never come back. Eternal emptiness beckons. Seek the Lord while you may be found. Priorities, people. The Messiah in the Isaiah, uh, Jesus the market trader, says this, Think about your thinking. Think about your attitudes. Let's refocus. Let the godly, ungodly, hand up for your ungodly. No, don't say that. Ungodly means if anything is completing for, with God for first place in your life. So let the ungodly, God is complete, complete, competing for first place in your life. Let the ungodly leave their ways and their righteousness, their thoughts. Let them turn to God and you have compassion on them and to our God for he will multiply forgiveness. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways are higher than your ways, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Jesus is saying, I want you to get some perspective. We're nearly done here. I want you to get perspective. If you could see what I can see, says Jesus, says the market trader. If you knew what I knew, you'd seek me now. You drop everything now. Why don't we do it? I'm not pointing the fingers at people that walk past. I'm saying, why do we put other things first? Because we can't really see the big picture. Because his thoughts are up there. He sees the big picture. We're down here grubbing around. We don't see the big picture. His ways are different. Our ways of, we don't see the big picture. And Jesus is saying, come on. There's a moment to change perspective. You have to pray, people. You might be sitting here and you might not see the big picture about what is really, truly matters. We major on the momentary, don't we? And we miss the momentous. Glasgow Grace, you're going to become a church with two market stalls. You know, 120 street traders or however many you are. There's an urgency about this. And we're talking as leaders, and I, this wasn't Kenko saying it, I was saying, this is going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of drive and you to believe it, but actually we're here as a street trader crying in the marketplace of Glasgow, seek the Lord and the baby be found. Come on, you're dissatisfied. Let's see some transformation, yeah? Because this is an urgent thing. We're not just doing institutional church here. Do you agree with me? Yeah. We're on a mission to see people safe for Jesus. It starts here in your life. It goes to your friends and neighbors, but it's about this city. It's about this city. I wouldn't want it to be said, my football team are about to be relegated, I wouldn't want it to be said that I spent too much time worrying about Leeds United. Well, the Lord was saying, speak out. Speak out. Tell them your story. Tell them Jesus' love is better than life. Tell them there's nothing else. Call out in the marketplace. Hey, you, thirsty one at work. Hey, you, are you telling me thirsty one? There's a Jesus, come on. It's a call to pay the price. We're so easily like consumers, I'll go to that church, they'll provide some services. Literally, that's why we used to call them services, isn't it? I don't know why we do that. Meetings. Are, and then, no, that didn't provide, so I'll go to that one, I'll go to that one. That's okay, different churches exist, I'm not saying this is the only one in town. But you are on a mission to say, we're going to bring Jesus to Glasgow while, he, they, while he's near. Bottom line is, he's not going. But we are. I'm 62 now. I'm going. You think you're going to live forever and you climb to the top of the ladder and then you'll do it. No, now's the moment. Let me just finish. Last one. Fruitful word. Scene seven. The fruitful word. This is encouragement here. The street vendor guarantees the gospel on our lips will yield a harvest. He says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood, uh, bu- blood, bud and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that go, goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it's sent. What, what's, what's, what's the street seller finishing with? He's saying, this works. This works. My word goes out of my mouth and changes lives.
It doesn't return to me empty. It yields a harvest. It changes lives. It does work. My word, who's that? Jesus that comes down from heaven. He's accomplished everything he wanted to do. He comes on, he's on the cross and he cries out, doesn't he? Psalm 22, I am thirsty. He goes and enters our empty soul thirst. And then at the end of the psalm he says, it's achieved. It's finished. It's done. It will do it. You've got to believe that actually, you've got to believe that actually when you talk about Jesus, that actually it does transform it, that the power of God is behind it. Let me tell you one story and then we'll break bread. I wasn't going to tell this because I was worried it made me look too good, Johnny. I've got this friend who works in a chip shop. Quite boring, really, in that sense. And I, and I like, my wife is doing Joe Wicks, and we eat Joe Wicks in the week, so when I'm at work, I think, oh, I'll sneak off for a bit of fish. And I began to this fish shop on a, on, a, on, a, on a Monday for a piece of fish. And I just said, a piece of fish, please. Chat, chat, chat. Nothing much. Just friendly. How you doing? You know, can I have a piece of fish? Do you want to drink, can I have a drink of water? But sooner or later, this guy says to me, what do you do for a living? You come in here on a Monday, what are you doing? I said, oh, my office is just there. He says, well, what, the church? We rent an office in a church building. I said, yeah. He said, are you a vicar? I said, no, I'm not the vicar there, but he's a good mate of mine. Chat, 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 fish, away we go. Four years later, the conversation, so two weeks ago after Easter, he says, I just want to ask you, Howard, I know his name's Sam by now, he says, what's most important, Christmas or Easter? I was like, whoa, that's a great question. I said, well, let me just tell you. I said, well, Christmas, if, Jesus, if, you, you know, if you believe Christmas is about God became a man, that's huge, isn't it? That's really important. He's like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think it was about that. And I, and I said, if Easter is about Jesus dying to set, the world, set you free and change the world, Easter's really important as well, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. And I said, do you want to come on our Alpha course? It's starting on Monday. He takes out the chip paper with the thing on, and he says, he writes his name and, my, and mobile number. And I phoned him up afterwards and said, Sam, it's great to see you in the ship shop. You're coming on off. He said, I want to find out about Jesus. And the Lord is near. And he's going to seek him. And I think, I'm glad I bought fish there. You know, that woman said, I better glad I went to that well that day. I'm glad I walked through the street market that moment. Because there's nothing like him.